Medic Monday. Good morning, Greg. How you doing? I'm doing excellent. How about you? Don't lie to me. You're not doing excellent. <laughs> I'm not. I'm not feeling so great today. I have it for a couple of days, man. I think it's a physical and a spiritual thing. Yeah. Well, would you like to talk about it? <laughs> <laughs> Honestly, Dave, I'm afraid to, man. I'm like in a. All right. Maybe a... we can talk later privately. Yeah, that would be that would be awesome. Not on the air. Yeah. I'm learning. I'm learning. Yeah. Well, you know, it's a process. It is. So how many takes are we going to have on, on today's show? I think only <laughs> the one. I'm uh, One take? One take. What did we do? Three right. last week? Uh, yeah. I'm going to hold you to that. Okay. I stayed here. I just want, I was like, for the record, I stayed here. You you were the one that kept leaving. Uh, I know. <laughs> <laughs> wasn't by choice i know it's, <laughs> and it's just amusing you know the the different times when we're talking about it. it's like oh shit where'd dave go <laughs> yeah that's what i'm asking like hey where'd i go what happened i'm not there anymore exactly <clears throat> exactly uh, how are you today so, what's that how are you today i'm doing good uh doing good feeling highly motivated after publishing my dream book yes yeah yeah it's uh, out guys it's out finally got that glossary uh i wrestled that thing to the ground and <laughs> tied it hog tied that thing and got it <laughs> got it all edited denise did a really good job of editing um not just the glossary but the rest of the book um i love the and, cover and yeah she she always nails the cover man she's just she's she's an artist um I was really happy with the cover. I had no no idea when we went into um, designing the cover. Denise is like, "Well, what's your you know what's your idea? What's your vision for the cover?" And I'm like, "I have no idea. <laughs> I don't know what, what color is what it's going to look like. I don't know." And she's like, "Okay, I guess we'll come up with something." Um, and that's how she is. She's an artist. Yeah. And artists, you know, they start with a blank canvas, I and then know. they just get. Uh, get some inspiration and they start with this and start with that. And we both um, liked the idea of a horse because horses are pretty symbolic. And a lot of people have dreams uh, where horses appear as a symbolic uh, element of the dream. And, and horses tend to represent power, uh, but they, they can represent other things. Um, she likes horses. And I think horses are pretty cool. So we decided to use the horse as the main motif for the cover. And then I thought, you know, a lot of people have dreams. I've had a lot of dreams um, involving jet airplanes. Uh, so we decided let's throw a jet airplane in there and the clock thing down in the lower right corner. Yeah. And I was like, you know, we've got to have a door and a window. Because there's hallways and doors and houses in dreams. So we just kind of 
uh, took the the elements that we liked uh, that appear in dreams a lot and she started rearranging them around and got a background and next thing you know we have a cover Boom. and i really like it it's a good cover what took longer the glossary or the cover <laughs> cover only took no we started working on the cover um the day before we published probably let's see not actually two days before we published we had a little issue getting the color of the text right um she she had she uses uh, photoshop and indesign and illustrator to do uh, her work she's having a lot of trouble getting the colors of the text to come out right um she just no matter what she did she couldn't get the, the color flow to go the right way and that was two days before we published and then we stayed up to like 10 or 11 o'clock at night working on the text, just the text for like three hours, trying to get the text to look right. Couldn't get the right color. And then I would, you know, she, she and I were like, let's just go to sleep and we'll figure it out tomorrow. So we woke up the next day and I, I'm making coffee and uh, hanging out and uh, doing, doing some other things that I had to do. I walk into the office and she's got, the text problem figured out. She, she has it all flowed in exactly the way it's supposed to look. And I was like, what did you do? Like, <laughs> we had such a problem last night. Like you just, you got it figured out. And she said, yeah, I brought in, I brought in the file of the text from the previous book that had the color. Um, when, when you go in uh, and create all these things, there's, um, there's all kinds of parameters in the image file for the, for this text image. There's slope, there's angle, there's boss and bevel, and there's color saturation. Um, there's all these features. And she just brought in the text from the previous book, uh, which had all those features embedded in it. And then she started messing around with the color, changed the text, the actual text. And voila, we get, the text problem was figured out. Bye -bye. So I was pretty happy. I was like, it's perfect. It's exactly the way it's supposed to look. Yeah. Uh, because the, the day before it was looking pretty crappy, actually, <laughs> the text was it just we couldn't get the colors to look right. So Denise doesn't puts in a lot of work, yeah, uh, on these book designs, um, and we're really happy that the book is out. Look, dude, there is nothing I enjoy more than talking about and writing about dreams. Yeah, like I would literally do it day after day after day, hour after hour, week after week. I love talking about, teaching about and writing about dreams. It's like my favorite thing to write about. Well, we could talk about it a little bit today if you want. I mean, here's the thing, yeah, guys. We, we, we never have a plan. I, I just want you to know, there's never there's never really a plan with Dave and I. This is just a couple of buds that get together to talk about what's going on yep. in the world, so. No, we, we don't script anything. It's all, you know, audible at the line of scrimmage. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we don't meet uh, up on Sunday and like, okay, and then I'm gonna say this, and then you say this, and then we're gonna, no. Nope. Never. No. And the interesting thing is that uh, a lot of people are starting to have dreams that, that haven't had dreams in, in a long time. I uh, got together with some friends yesterday, and one of my prophetic friends um, said she hasn't had dreams in a long time. And all of a sudden, a couple of days ago, she started having dreams, um, prophetic dreams. Um, a, a lot of people are having prophetic dreams about the takedown of the cabal. 
which I think is highly significant. Every time, virtually every time when I take a nap in the afternoon, I, I take a nap, I try to take one every day. Me too. Uh, and as I get up early in the morning, uh, some mornings I get up at 3, 3.30, uh, 4 o'clock. Uh, my day usually starts pretty early. I rarely sleep in past 5.30 or 6. So by the time 1 o'clock rolls around, I'm, I'm a little tired. So I usually take a nap around noon, 1 o'clock. Uh, 10-minute nap, usually 10 or 15 minutes at the most. That's not a nap. But, yeah, it is. 10 minutes? Yeah. Really? Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I just, it, I take a nap and what it does is it, it allows my brain time to relax and refresh and I wake up from a 10 minute nap feeling great. I got my energy back because I just like, like 1230, one o'clock, I just start losing energy. My, it's hard for me to focus mentally. I get distracted and kind of the brain fog sets in. I take a 10 minute nap and I'll wake up feeling great and I can go for another, you know, six or seven hours. Nice. Uh, I put in long days when I'm writing, but when I take a nap, I almost always lately in the last year, especially I have a dream, 10 minute nap and boom, I'm in a dream immediately. And almost all of my dreams in, in my afternoon naps during the last year have shown the pa Patriots behind the scenes um, out maneuvering and staying a couple steps ahead of the deep state. And in the last two days, I've had afternoon naps, two or three days actually, where uh, the cabal is having a hard time. Like yesterday, I had a dream where um, members of the elites, the cabal, they were practically trying to convince uh, some audience, the, the public, of what was happening at the present time. So there were some things going on that were very unusual. And the cabal, members of the cabal, were trying to explain to the public what was happening. And they were lying about it. And no one was believing their story. No one was buying it. Like, everyone was like, we know you're lying. <laughs> like, I like it. And I, I could just see in the dream um, that they were frantically trying to create this narrative and no one was buying it. Um, the day before that, all right, so Saturday, I had a dream, and it was it was a little bit like watching a C-SPAN uh, um, video. I was watching what looked like testimony in a hearing. It has something to do with the activities of the cabal. Like there was just this information being presented in a public hearing about the crimes that they had been committing. And uh, it was a it, it was public. I know that, and it was, a, it was a it was like a public testimony, and that's the kind of thing I've been dreaming about in my afternoon naps for like, like I said, probably about a year. All my afternoon nap dreams uh, seem to show prophetic uh, scenes of things to come. And all these dreams do not portend good things for the cabal. Things are rapidly, I think, spiraling out of control for them. Yeah. And that's what God is showing me in these dreams. I have night dreams, and those subjects have been a pretty wide variety of different things. The thing I wanted to say about the dreams is if you're not having dreams, 
you you can have dreams even if you've never had a lot of dreams in the past there's a an interesting spiritual principle that i learned gosh 10 11 years ago and that's this when i first started learning about healing i was watching todd white videos and i was watching randy clark videos and i was watching videos where people were teaching about healing and giving their testimonies and experiences with healing and miracles and deliverance. And that kind of stirred up in me um, a passion for healing. Mm -hmm. And it also gave me instruction on how to do it. Rather than um, begging God to heal people, I started doing what I saw Todd White do, which was commanding ligaments, nerves, tendons, bones to be healed. I was being instructed I was also, my spirit was being activated by watching. And I started to hang around people who were interested in healing. I, I had a bunch of friends. This was back, you know, 2008, 2009, when the street healing movement was really big. And I was on Facebook all the time talking to thousands of people who were interested in healing. And a lot of these people were doing street healing. They had street healing ministries. We were just talking about healing all the time. That's all we were talking about. And... My desire for healing grew and I started to see a lot more miracles. I started to see really good success when I prayed for people to be healed. And out of that experience, I realized that if you hang around people who are successful in healing, it'll kind of rub off on you. So then I started um, hanging out with people who are very prophetic, uh, people who you know give a lot of prophetic words, um, who have a lot of prophetic dreams, people who have a, a pretty strong prophetic anointing. The more I hung around people who were very prophetic, the more I prophesied. Hmm. Now, Denise and I went to the Healing Rooms Conference in Spokane, Washington, September 2009. And we got around some very powerfully gifted prophetic people. And we ended up going to John Lake's uh, gravesite for some reason. I just felt like the Lord said, I want you to go to John Lake's gravesite during the next break for lunch. And I talked to a couple of friends and they said, you know what, we need to go to John Lake's gravesite. And I was like, yeah, that's what the Lord told me too. So we all drove out to John Lake's gravesite. Strangely, um, a whole bunch of people who were at the conference, they all ended up at John Lake's gravesite during lunch. There was cars driving by, people stopping. There was probably two dozen people there. And a lot of these people were very prophetically gifted. And they, they just started prophesying. People would drive by, drive up, walk up, and, and the crowd would just start prophesying to them, giving them prophetic words. This is what the Lord you know, is saying to you. And the Lord wants you to know that he's going to take care of that issue between you and your wife. And he's going to give you that property. And you're going to have this and that business thing. Don't worry about it. There was just people coming all afternoon. And whoever drove up, whoever walked up, uh, they would just get prophetic words from people. I didn't feel very prophetically gifted at that time, mm -hmm. but I was getting prophetic words. So was Denise. Denise rarely ever uh, prophesies, but that day she was giving prophetic words like crazy. She was really? just, and you're going to do this and you're going to do that. And the Lord says this and you're going to have this. And, and I was like, wow, what happened to my wife? She had around prophetic people and she started prophesying like crazy. And 
I don't I don't know necessarily that it's the prophetic gift rubbed off on her as much as I think in that particular atmosphere there was a there was a the Holy Spirit was just releasing a prophetic anointing and whoever was there was prophesying. There was probably people there that never prophesied before and they started prophesying. It's a little bit like when in the Old Testament when when Samuel told Saul you're going to go here and you're going to meet these people. And you're going to go up the hill and you're going to see the prophets coming down. They're going to be playing instruments and you're going to start prophesying. And sure enough, Saul goes out and, and Saul meets the people, starts prophesying. And people are like, is Saul one of the prophets? Saul never prophesied before. But when he met the group of prophets, he started prophesying. I think there's something, there's some idea in the prophetic anointing. And that if you get around prophetic people, the spirit, that the Holy Spirit that is releasing prophetic revelation to them will hit you and you can tap into that and you can start prophesying. What? Can I just ask a dumb question really quick? Can you just yeah. explain to us what, what exactly is prophecy? Uh, you yeah. know? Prophecy is declaring what the Lord is showing you. <laughs> that's it. Simple. I mean, if the Lord reveals something to you and then you speak it out, that's prophecy. Mm -hmm. Right. When I when I have these dreams about the cabal being arrested and their crimes being exposed and I tell people what I'm seeing, that's prophesying. Now, I don't I don't couch my prophetic revelation in terms of thus saith the Lord. Some people do that. Uh, I don't like that approach myself. Right. Um, I, I'm a moderately prophetic person, but a lot of people don't know it. Because I don't say, you know, let's say the Lord and, you know, the father says all that dramatic stuff. I hate that stuff. It drives me crazy. Yeah. Um, it just looks weird to me. If you're going to if you're going to operate um, prophetically outside the church walls to non-believers, to atheists and agnostics and new agers, uh, they're not hip to that scene. They, they don't dig that stuff. It just kind of looks like churchianity and kind of craziness. Churchianity. So, so I, when I speak prophetically, I, I generally speak normally. A, a lot of times when I'm doing, when you and I are doing a broadcast, the Holy Spirit will drop something into my uh, understanding that I didn't know before, that I hadn't thought about. Mm -hmm. And I'll just, you and I will be having a conversation and I'll just say something. And I will, I'll have a knowing in my spirit that that was a, that was a prophetic revelation that God gave me something. And uh, I, I don't make a big deal of it. I'm like, oh, I, you know, here, the Lord is saying this. I just, my prophetic uh, flow comes out in normal conversation. Yeah. It's kind of like when Jesus and Peter were talking, Jesus asked the disciples, who do people say that I am? Well, some say you're Elijah and some say you're John the Baptist. And Jesus said, okay, well, we have all these people and, you know, they're having their opinions. Who do you say that I am? And Peter said, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. What did Jesus say back to him? Flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, but my father who is in heaven revealed that to you. Amen. Blessed are you, Simon. You are no longer Simon. You are now Peter. Changed his name. But the thing was, they were just having a normal conversation. And the Holy Spirit revealed to Peter, he's the Messiah. He's he's the Messiah. He's the Son of God. Like, wow, 
I never see, I never knew that before. Right. So Peter prophesied. Peter stated something that the Holy Spirit had revealed to him. He, he just revealed prophetic information that the Holy Spirit gave him. Uh, I think a lot of people prophesy and don't know it. Um, when when you're having a conversation with someone and a, a, a sudden thought comes to you that you had never thought of before, a realization, an understanding, a perspective that you'd never thought of before, mm-hmm. just boom, hits you and you blurt it out. A lot of people think, wow, I'm pretty brilliant. I, I, I kind of saw what was going on there or I figured that out. Well, a lot of times you're not that brilliant and you didn't figure it out. God told you <laughs> what it was. The Holy Spirit revealed it to you and you said it and you didn't realize that it actually came from the Holy Spirit. And, and in a sense, that's that's prophecy. It's kind of like every one of my devos, man. I have no idea what I'm saying usually. <laughs> right. Well, you're you're ministering prophetically. If you... If, Right. So you, when you come and do your, your Devo, you don't have a script. You haven't written out ahead of time what you're going to say. You haven't um, carefully planned out. I haven't even read it. So you haven't even read it. So you're just kind of winging it. And the Holy Spirit is leading you in what to say, right? That's kind of, that's the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Uh, those who are led by the Spirit of God, near the sons of God. When we are led by the Spirit, when the, when the Holy Spirit inspires us, when the Holy Spirit gives us revelation, gives us understanding, and we speak it out, that is prophetic ministry. And a lot of people are pro- more prophetic than they understand. Uh, I, I know that um, I'm pretty prophetic. I don't make a big deal of it because eh, it, it just it makes some people uncomfortable. And I don't want to make people uncomfortable, so I try to be as casual and nonchalant about this whole thing as I can be. But, um, but you know, uh, God reveals a lot of stuff to us. Yeah. Uh, a lot of our broadcasts are are are, are pretty prophetic. Uh, led, they're led by the Spirit, and God reveals things to us. So going back to the dreams, in the same way that. If you hang around healers, you're going to end up healing. I've, I, I saw this with a lot of my friends who um, never really had much interest or ability to heal the sick. But when they started hanging around groups of people who were successful in healing, they started healing. Uh, when you hang around people who are pretty prophetic, you'll start to prophesy. And when you hang around people who are dreamers, you're going to start dreaming. Hmm. This is something that I learned again, years ago. Um, and I have a lot of friends who have had this experience. They don't have a lot of dreams. You know, a year or two will go by. They won't have any, hardly any dreams. They go to a dream workshop. They go to a dream conference. They, they take some, uh, watch some videos or read a book on dreams and boom, they start dreaming like crazy. Part of it is that your, your mind is being instructed on the importance and the relevance of dreams. By the way, for those of you out there who don't understand or don't believe that dreams are from God, both Joseph and Daniel were promoted to the second highest positions Mm -hmm. in their countries. Pharaoh promoted Joseph to the second highest, uh, most powerful person in Egypt. And Nebuchadnezzar promoted Daniel to the second most powerful position in Babylon. 
And both of them were promoted because they had skill in dream interpretation. And both of them said dreams and their interpretations come from God. So if you have an issue with uh, the idea that God speaks to dreams, the Bible disagrees with you. Yeah. (laughs) Just going to throw that out. There are dozens and dozens of dreams in the Bible. Joseph, the father of Jesus, Joseph was warned in a dream to take the baby Jesus to Egypt because Herod was going to try to kill him. And when he got to Egypt uh, and it was then safe for him to come back, an angel came again in a dream and told him it's time to go back to Israel. You're, you're safe. No problem. The Bible is full of dreams. And most of the book of Daniel is his dream interpretation. You that just go true. look through, you know, Daniel chapter two, chapter four, chapter 10, seven, eight, nine, ten. That's all Daniel and uh, Gabriel uh, explaining dreams and dream interpretation. So dreams are definitely from God. Revelation, too, for that matter. <clears throat> revelation. Well, and Revelation is a very interesting book because. Is that more a dream is, or vision? Yeah, it's, I would say neither. Because, yeah, because, um, all right. So in Revelation chapter one, Jesus appears to John and gives him revelation about the churches. So, you know, Revelation chapter two, chapter three is a revelation of Jesus Christ talking about the seven churches of Asia. And Jesus is revealing to John the, he, you know, the letters to the churches. And then in chapter four starts out, John sees a door or a window open in heaven. And God says, come up here. I want to show you things that must take place after these things. Boom. John goes up into the heavens and he's there in, in heaven for the, like the next uh, 16 chapters. <laughs> and he's, he's observing Very all true. the stuff going on. Right. So he, he went into heaven and experienced and saw and heard things and then recorded what he saw and what he heard. Not a dream because he was awake. That's true. Was it a vision? I don't think so. I think that he was translated by faith or he traveled in the spirit into the heavens. And I've written a couple of books on that. <laughs> Operating in the court of angels, defeating your adversary in the court of heavens. We can travel in our spirit into the heavens in the same way John did and receive revelation. And again, I have a lot of friends who've had these experiences and they've been to the courts of heaven and they've, you know, interacted with Jesus. The cool thing about the court of heaven, the court of accusation, what we normally call it, is that normally when you get there, you meet Jesus and he guides you through the legal process in in the court of heaven. Um, He's, he's your attorney, basically. It's a good attorney. Yeah. You're, you're, you're advocate with the father. So back to dreams, what a lot of people have found, and I just report what a lot of my friends have experienced and I've experienced myself is if you get around dreamers, read books on dreams, watch videos with dream in, instruction, you're, you will probably start to dream more. Uh, if you are not dreaming right now, Get a book on dream interpretation. Mm-hmm. Watch some videos uh, uh, on dream interpretation. Go to a dream workshop. 
the biblical dream interpretation workshop. That's that's how I started dreaming. Denise went to a dream interpretation workshop that was being taught by a friend, Melody Pash. And Melody has been teaching on you know biblical dream interpretation for decades. Uh, Denise went there the first day she was learning about dreams because she was dreaming all the time. She came home from the dream workshop. She prayed over me and I had my first dream that night in 25 years. Wow. She just prayed over me. Lord, I want you to give my husband dreams. Boom. And that night I had a dream where I met God. As I started hanging around with these people who dream a lot and I got interested in dreams and I read books on dreams, I started dreaming more. And this, this principle is explained by Jesus in a discussion that he had with the disciples about why did he teach in parables? All right. Dreams are parables. Dreams are parabolic language, stories. In the same way that Jesus revealed the mysteries of God's kingdom in parables, the Holy Spirit today reveals the, reveals the mysteries of God's kingdom through dreams. Why? Here's the why. So the disciples said, why do you speak to them in parables? And Jesus said, because seeing they would not see and hearing they would not hear because their hearts are darkened. And this is my paraphrase. Their mm -hmm. hearts are darkened and they don't have the love of the truth. Therefore, I speak to them in parables. And whatever they have will be taken from them because it has not been given to them to know the mysteries of the kingdom. But to you, it has been given. And what, what they have will be taken from them and given to you. Basically, what Jesus was saying was, they had no desire to know the truth of God's kingdom. So the truth, whatever little bit of truth they had, was going to be taken from them. Why? Because they didn't, had no desire. They had no interest in learning about God's kingdom. The disciples had an interest in learning about God's kingdom. Specifically, Peter, James, and John, the three, they were closer to Jesus than the other uh, nine disciples. Mm -hmm. Peter, James, and John were there. They were there for the transfiguration. They were there for a lot of um, you know, key issues and events that the other disciples weren't there for. Peter, James, and John were following Jesus everywhere. Everywhere he went, you know, every time he was in a boat, they were with him. You know, on the sea, in the storm, boom, they're with him. Peter, James, and John experienced more of the miracles and they had a better knowledge of Jesus than anyone else because they were more interested in what he was doing. Hmm. They were always the one asking the questions. They're always the first ones to speak. So Jesus gave them more revelation, gave them more, uh, had more experiences with them. Gave, they had the inside track on what Jesus was doing because of their level of interest, mm -hmm. right? Because their hearts were hungry to know more about the kingdom. The other disciples, not as much. The multitudes that, you know, four or 5,000 people that were with Jesus when he multiplied the, uh, the loaves and fishes, he basically told them they weren't really that interested in the kingdom. They came there because he, they got fed. <laughs> and that's why they were there. Oh, they, they didn't have that much of an interest in learning about God's kingdom. And Jesus told them, you know, they're here because of the food. 
<laughs> you know, they just want the popcorn. The, the principle there is that if you have a sincere desire, if you have a sincere interest in learning about healing, miracles, dreams, prophecy, if you read about it, if you get around people who are teaching on those subjects, if you get around people who are having dreams and they talk about their dreams and they teach what dreams mean, if you get around those people and you express more interest and spend more time with those people, you're going to have more dreams. Mm -hmm. You're going to heal more. You're going to prophesy more. That's just a spiritual principle. A lot of people don't have dreams because they, they have a relative lack of interest. You know, they say, well, I'd like to have dreams, but I, I just don't have dreams. Well, how many dream books have you read? How many conferences on dreams have you gone to? How many videos have you watched where, you know, people teach on dream interpretation? They're not stirring it up and, and they're not, they don't have a real interest. Even the people, a lot of people that I know who have dreams, they don't take them seriously. They don't write them down. They don't try to interpret them. It's, it's unfortunate, but for a lot of people, God is speaking to them every night through dreams. They don't write them down. They don't take the time to interpret them. They don't really have a sincere desire to know what God is saying through their dreams. They're like, oh, I had a dream. That's cool. Oh, that's interesting. Oh, let me get my coffee and uh, go play video games the rest of the day. How much interest do you have in knowing what God is saying through dreams? That's the question. And a lot of people are like, you know, like I said, you know, they'd like to have dreams, but having dreams and understanding what they mean, is two different things. And it's the people who sincerely desire to know what God is saying. They will take the time to read a book, watch a video, you know, take some classes or go to a workshop where they can learn to interpret their dreams because they want to know the mysteries of God's kingdom. And, he, and those people will be, be active. They, they'll start to have more dreams. They'll have more significant dreams and they'll uh, learn to interpret them. Um, I have a friend on Telegram. Uh, he dreams a lot. Pepe Lives Matter. Love he, Pepe Lives he Matter. Had, yeah, he has a lot of dreams. He has, and, and he has a lot of friends who dream. That's probably my favorite channel. Mine too. Yeah, hands down. <laughs> He has a lot of dreams that he doesn't talk about him publicly, that he has some very significant prophetic dreams. And so do I. And so we chat back and forth. Um, I, I post a lot of my dreams publicly. He doesn't, but he, he has his chat turned on. I have my chat turned off because I got 16 books I have to write. And a um, little busy. I, yeah. I, I found that if I, if I leave the chat on, on telegram, I have to moderate it. Yeah. And when you've got, you know, 4,000 people in the chat, some of whom don't have very good manners, moderating the chat with that many people takes a lot of time. Yeah, it does. And all my time was being consumed moderating the chat. And I wasn't getting any, making any progress on these books. So I, I turned off the chat and lo and behold, the dream book got published and I finished a third Q book. Nice. Dun, dun, dun. So... So the third Q book is finished. Um, I spent this last week not just working on the dream book, but over the weekend, I wrote the last two chapters in the, in the third Q book. 
I changed it up. I had I'd finished it a couple of months ago when I thought was finished. And Denise and I had some conversations. And I yanked out three chapters of the, of that manuscript and wrote three more chapters because <laughs> uh, she didn't think it was appropriate to put those chapters in at this point in time. So I, I removed those chapters and wrote three more. And uh, I like the book a lot better now than it was uh, a couple months ago. Um, Denise is a very good editor. She has a lot of good constructive criticism. I don't always like taking her criticism, uh, but it's constructive. And whenever I follow her advice, it always works out good for me. Yeah. So the third Q book is done and we don't know when we're gonna publish that yet. We're, we're, we're waiting to see what the right time is going to be, but it is done and I've got a book on power and authority. I'm, I'm on the on. edge of my seat waiting for that one. I, can't I know wait. you are. So that book is probably halfway finished. I, I took a look at the manuscript. It's pretty rough. I have 20 or 21 chapter uh, concepts. It, I don't think the finished book is going to have that many chapters. It might have 16-ish or 17. It, it, it's in kind of rough shape, but... Uh, I'm going to start working on that book and try to get that thing shaped up, get that one published. Uh, science fiction trilogy is on the back burner. A screenplay for a Q film is on the back burner. I, I will probably eventually write a full length book on uh, emotional healing and deliverance. So I have all these books. There's a ideas. huge need for that. Yeah, I know. Well, the, the small little ebook. Uh, emotional healing in three easy steps is a good starter for people. It's easy. You can read it in, you know, 15 minutes and get the down and dirty for emotional healing. Mm -hmm. But I want to do uh, a, a more uh, expansive treatment on emotional healing and deliverance. So I, I have a manuscript for that book. That's again, on the back burner. I think I started that probably seven years ago and never finished it, but, but um, all of that is to say I have no shortage of books, plus a fourth cubic and probably a fifth one. Uh, I think I've got enough material for three more cubics, probably. And if cube comes back, well, then only I'll have more. three right now, I have enough material to write, to have five books in the series, mm -hmm. maybe six. Um, it depends. There's a lot of different directions you can take cube posts. And I don't want to just, you know, ad nauseum be writing, you know, the 13th and the 14th Q book and rehashing stuff that has been discussed previously. Uh, Coming out next there month, is, book 17. <laughs> yeah, there, yeah, there is some built-in redundancy into uh, in the Q books because Q tends to hammer certain subjects a lot more than others. And and that's the, the, that's just the nature of Q's operation. So... Whenever you're decoding um, the signatures, Q signatures, for example, a lot of the signatures cover very similar subjects. So, you know, like the chapter on, uh, for example, in the third Q book, there's going to be a chapter decoding the signature Iron Eagle. I'm also going to decode the signature Hunt for Red October. Well, those two signatures appear in a lot of similar posts, yeah. sometimes the same post. So those two chapters um, have a lot of similarities, a lot of overlap. Uh, I w 
you know, some would say that it's redundant, but I try not to not to write in a redundant way. Uh, but but some redundancy is necessary, and each book is meant to stand on its own. So if you read book one, and you read my discussion of um, like the Iran deal, for example, the Iran deal shows up in book one, it's in book two, and it's going to be in book three, because that was a big deal with Q. Q kept on you know posting a lot of information about the Iran deal, Iran nuclear deal. So that subject appears in almost every book because because it's just it's there's so many posts about it even though the mainstream media when they write their hit pieces on q they never mention the iran deal yeah um, that is a major focus don't want to talk about that no we don't want to talk about what do you mean secret nuclear uh facilities in syria and iran really when did that happen mm-hmm. yeah that's 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 a major focus of q that's a large part of the reason why I, I decided to delete the chat on my Telegram channel is I, I don't have the time in the headspace to deal with all of the off-topic conversations, the fear porn, okay. uh, and all the other nonsense that people are posting. I mean, there's a lot of good comments on my Telegram channel from people. There's also a lot of really bad comments there's a lot of trolls a lot uh like i said a lot of fear porn pushing and i don't have the headspace and the time to moderate that right now because i've got so many dang books i want to write and if i have to moderate telegram all day long i'm never going to work on the books yeah telegram just stresses me out man i I go to i go to my channels that i follow and that's about it i can't i can't handle telegram anymore you have to be very careful about um, your interaction on social media because I know people who will sit there all day long and argue with people in the chat yeah. on social media. Well, that's a, that's a really good way to waste an entire day <laughs> arguing with somebody that you don't even know. Uh, you know. Pavel Durov, he's a CEO of Telegram, he put out a notice the other day about how certain channels had to be suspended because they weren't moderating the chat and they were allowing people to endorse violence. Mm-hmm. And that's a big issue with, with our, our corner of the internet right now is you got these morons out there who are in, trying to incite people to violence. Uh, they're, they're actual insurrectionists and, yeah. and they're jumping in our chats and they're in, trying to incite violence. Mm-hmm. And We've That's, never condoned or stood for or encouraged. We've never condoned or stood for violence. Uh, every time this subject comes up, I have the same policy. But unfortunately, there are people on Telegram who are jumping in our chat rooms and they are endorsing violence. Yeah. And that's that's a huge issue. That's a big tell right there because that ain't us. Can I just ask a question real quick? We yeah. got As soon as we started talking about Q, I got whacked on Facebook. And then I went to restart it. And now I can't get Facebook to come up at all. So I either got whacked or is there Facebook is? down? <laughs> yeah. Wow. I can't even pull up Facebook now. I mean, it says something went wrong here. We're looking into it. But speaking of Telegram, I, I want to address uh, a little issue I saw going on yesterday on Telegram. So there has been, ever since the audit came out, there's been a group of people who take the view that the audit report was watered down that the most damaging things were left out of the audit report 
that uh, essentially that the auditors kind of spiked Whoa, it. Facebook is down. Oh, Facebook, the platform is down? Is, is that what they're saying in the chat? Oh, nice. Maybe it's, Maybe it'll be down permanently. I'd be okay with that. I broke Facebook. Okay, I'll take that. I'll take that today. Hey, Greg, we that broke Facebook. Feel... High five, buddy. Come on. <laughs> that makes me happy. Oh, no, wait. We got to. Dude, how awesome is that? Well, my day is now complete that I broke Facebook. I can't tell you how happy that makes me. Dude, that's awesome. So, anyway, back to what I was talking about. There Damn, are, man, um, it's down in Oregon. It's down in Jersey. Woohoo! Ding yeah. dong, the witch is dead. Well, if you can't get to my page, that means I'm down. So be on the lookout for Greg Harvey's seventh. <laughs> well, what I was saying is that since the audit report came out, there's a there is a there, there's a group of people, a faction inside of MAGA that is convinced that. The, the audit report, the Maricopa County audit report was watered down and that people pulled punches and they didn't let the full effect, they didn't put out all, all the all the damaging information in the audit report, that it was basically softened up. And these people are on social media and now they're attacking not just Karen Fan but Wendy Rogers and Sonny Borelli and Kelly Townsend. Uh, saying that that this whole thing was a sham and they should be ashamed of their behavior and the way this is all being rolled out. So one of the things uh, that people should consider, and I, I don't know how much time you got, Greg, but hey, I feel like I should as long go, as you want. Yeah, I feel like I should go through this in some detail. Let's do it. So uh, let's see. Back in... Dude, it's down like uh, it's down in Michigan, California, Texas, Virginia. Yes. This is freaking great, dude. We killed Facebook. Nice. Drove the stake right through the heart of the vampire. I love this, it. This is exciting. And all we had to do was talk about Q. I know. Well, so it is Red October. Yeah, back in let's see, the Arizona audit started in April. Back in about May or June, I listened to an interview with Karen Fan, and it was uh, an interview with a local uh, PBS guy. And in that interview, Karen Fan said something very interesting. And most people, right over their head, but you have to learn how to connect the dots, and you have to read between the lines. And Karen Fan said in that very first interview, it was I think it might have been the first public interview she did. She explained one of the reasons why they were doing the audit. And one of the reasons she gave was um, because the, the interviewer challenged her, like, why are you doing the audit? The, the, the county and the state, they did their audits and they didn't find anything wrong. Well, what's the purpose of doing an audit? Right. And Karen Fan said, well, 45% of the voters in Maricopa County do not have confidence in the election system. And she said, and they believe that there's fraud. Now, we don't know whether there's fraud or not, unless we do an audit. <laughs> and if I if I go to Attorney General Mark Brnovich and say, I want you to investigate the, the election, he's going to say, what evidence do you have? 
upon what what is the predicate to open an investigation. So she said, if I'm going to ask the attorney general to open a criminal investigation, I have to give him evidence of fraud. Mm-hmm. So that's why we're doing the audit, right? She actually said that. She said one of the reasons they were doing the audit was to see if there was evidence of fraud so they could turn it over to the attorney general and open a criminal investigation. You have to have a predicate to open a criminal investigation. So Karen Fan was saying a long time ago that a significant reason why the audit was being done was to get the attorney general's office a, a reason to do a criminal investigation. Now, uh, when you're going to do a criminal investigation, if you suspect that there's fraud, if you suspect that there's other kinds of um, illegal activity, you're probably going to anticipate the need to impanel grand juries. State of Arizona uses grand juries to indict people who are suspected of committing crimes. Mm -hmm. I served four months on a grand jury a couple of years ago. We reviewed 400 criminal cases in the course of four months. And I learned a lot being on a grand jury. I I learned a lot about the criminal justice system. But uh, whenever you're going to present evidence to a grand jury, what you don't want is you don't want that evidence to be in the public domain because it will bias a potential jury. Okay. So if Karen Fan and Brnovich know that there's going to be grand juries who are going to hear evidence of criminal activity related to the election, you don't want that information information being made public. You don't want it published in a public report and you sure as heck don't want it to be going out on YouTube <laughs> because, yeah. because you're going to, you could potentially um, bias a jury. And the first thing a defense attorney is going to do when this information is presented is either to say, well, you know, there's already been tons of media coverage about that. We're not going to get a fair trial, a fair hearing on this issue because there's already been so much media coverage, right? So if you're a smart prosecutor, you don't want anything that is going to potentially go before a grand jury. You don't want that in the public domain. I suspect a lot of information that they uncovered in the audit was not presented in the report or to the public because it's going to end up going before a grand jury and it has to be kept secret. Here's, here's an example. Um, in July that the hearing that was held where, Doug Logan and Ben Cotton uh, presented the obstacles that they had encountered to finishing the audit. Ben Cotton made the disclosure that not only had an entire election database been deleted, but he said, we were able to reconstruct that database. When I heard that, I was like, So they deleted an entire election database with all the results files, the log files, all the files in it, they deleted it. But Ben Cotton was able to reconstruct that database, he said. Mm -hmm. That was in July. Ben Cotton. You'll notice that did not that was not mentioned in the hearing and it did not show up in the final report. Why? And so you would want to know, well, hang on a second. If he said that he reconstructed that election database, why didn't they present that information in the report? And why didn't they tell everybody? what was in the election database that was deleted? What results, right? Wasn't made public. 
Mm-hmm. Why? Because it's going before a grand jury, probably. Uh, there's, I, I suspect there's a lot of things in that that they found during the audit that they can't make public because it's it, it's going to be part of a criminal investigation. By the way, little segue here. I listened to an interview with Cash Patel, uh, Cash's Corner on Epic Times. Mm-hmm. If you do, if you yeah, don't have I a paid, to that too. if you don't have a paid subscription to Epic Times, I think personally, Cash's Corner those interviews are worth the price of a paid subscription, and Epic Times for my money is the best news outlet going today, bar none. He's there, really there has been dropping reporting. stuff. There is no better reporting on, especially on geopolitical issues than Epic Times. They have very good reporters. It's very objective. It's well-researched, well-sourced reporting. And Cash's Corner, uh, Cash Patel does a weekly video blog uh, where he does an interview with Yanya Kellick and usually 35 to 45 minutes where they cover all these different subjects. Um, Cash Patel knows where the bodies are buried. Yeah, he does. (laughs) Cash worked with Devin Nunez. He was the top staffer with Devin Nunez when they did the House Intel investigation of Spygate. And Cash did the depositions of all these people, Michael Sussman, and all these other people are going to be indicted. Cash was involved in doing the depositions. He's an attorney. He's a former federal prosecutor. And... He was Devin Nunez's right-hand man in the House Intel investigation of Spygate. So he knows all the inside baseball with Spygate. Yeah. He also worked with Rick Grinnell and John Ratcliffe at the Office of Director of National Intelligence. Mm-hmm. And he was the one who helped declassify all the documents. So he knows about all the classified information that came through ODNI. He also worked as Chris Miller's chief of staff when Chris was secretary of defense after the election. Mm-hmm. So Cash has personal firsthand information, probably more than anybody else out there right now who's who's doing public interviews. He knows what happened after the election with respect to the defense department. He knows what documents have been declassified. He's seen all the declassified documents. He's seen all the still classified documents. He knows all of all the information that has to do with all this, the corruption that Durham's investigating. Cash probably has more information than anyone else who's giving public interviews right now. Mm-hmm. And it would, it would be well worth anyone's time to go back and listen to his previous interviews from like the last 10 episodes because he does a very deep dive on Durham's investigation. This is a couple months ago. He did a really good uh, interview describing what happened with him and the Defense Department and Chris Miller uh, and special forces uh, and all that stuff. That was probably three months three months ago. Uh, Cash has put He's out some the great information, and and he did a a um, an analysis. You know, if I were Durham, how would I prosecute Spygate? This interview came out probably five weeks ago or so. And he basically said, look, you have 17 people who are no longer working for the FBI. James Baker, Strzok, Page, Priestap, Loffman, all these people, they all got fired. Mm -hmm. He said, 
those are the people that are central to Spygate. He said, if I was Durham, I would go with those people. I would interview them and I would offer them plea deals yeah. to, to give us information on Clapper, Brennan, people in the White House, everybody else who was involved in Spygate. I would use those FBI people, offer them immunity, and then build my, my case working outward from those people. Yeah. And it looks like that's basically what Durham is probably doing. Uh, I, I don't think Cash just, well, as a former federal prosecutor, I think Cash knows a lot more about Durham's investigation. I don't think he's just spitballing. <laughs> no, no. And he's think, been everywhere lately, too. He's been on with Maria a bunch, too. Yep. Yep. I first became, so, like, I heard of him before, but then it wasn't until that movie, uh, what, Plot Against the President. Yeah, really one, good movie. Yeah, that one came out last year. And, I mean, he was really impressive in that movie. Yep. Yeah, that was kind of his, his coming out party. Yeah. Uh, in that film. That film did a really good job of explaining in a, in a very objective way as a documentary, you know, the, the origins and the, and the evolution of Spygate. Mm -hmm. I really liked it. It was very good. So what I was going to say about Durham's investigation is uh, Cash said in an interview, and I think it was the one where he was explaining his theory of what Durham might be doing with this investigation. He said, you know, when I was at ODNI, Rick Grinnell and I declassified hundreds of thousands of documents. Only about 30% of them have been made public. Most of them are, are still not in the public domain. He's, and I don't know what happened to them. I don't know why they have not been made public. And it occurred to me, I was looking at an old Q post because I'm writing this chapter for the third Q book on Durham. And I came across this drop where Q explains the chain of command for declassification. So declassification starts at the top with the president. Yeah. President Trump assigned declassification to uh, William Barr, right? So he gave Barr the authority to declassify. But Spygate and now the Clinton Foundation, actually almost, I think, all of the investigation of uh, institutional corruption is probably wrapped up in Durham's investigation. Yeah. Well, because he took on some of Huber, too. He did. Right. We, we know from a Fox News report from about a year ago that Huber's investigation of the Clinton Foundation was rolled into Durham's investigation. OK. And the Clinton Foundation investigation incorporates Uranium One. And human trafficking and all of that. Uh, Durham's investigating Spygate and any related uh, criminal activity. And as I was so as I'm writing this chapter on uh, on Durham for the third Q book yesterday and and Saturday, I'm going back through the drops and I'm, and I'm reading what Q had to say about Durham. It's really interesting because Durham is not mentioned by name until July of 2019. And he's only mentioned one time at that point. And then he isn't mentioned again until I think September or maybe November of 2019. And it's funny because most of us who've been following Spygate and the Clinton Foundation and all the scandals from the Obama administration, the majority of um, focus has been on Rod Rosenstein, Sessions, Barr, who is the white hat, who is the black hat, who is the, the guy who's going to drop the hammer, 
who you know who's the rat that we can't trust <clears throat> there's been a lot of focus on those people yeah. highly public figures sessions Barr, and rosenstein i think that there was an intentional diversion put in place by trump's people to focus all the attention on sessions and Barr and rosenstein and all the drama that's going on with them while behind the scenes durham has been working quietly for four years in paneling grand juries and building his case against the spygate conspirators and the reason i say that is if you go back and look at what information is available through news reporting over the last four years you'll find little tiny hints along the way about how long durham has been on the case but it's it's really hard to connect the dots because you only get a little bit of information because mm -hmm. almost nothing has been leaked from Durham's investigation since he started. Yep. And you have to infer some things based on the, the, lar the larger body of information that's out there. If you go back and look at the headlines about Durham, uh, you'll see headlines like, well, hey guys, check this out. Um, it looks like Durham's been investigating uh, intelligence leaks to the press for at least several weeks. Now, this is in 2019. But if you go back to um, the DOJ um, website, Jeff Sessions announced in August, uh, August 4th, actually, of 2017, Sessions announced that when he took office in January, from January to August of 2017, DOJ investigations of leaks from the intelligence community had tripled during that time, from January to August. Sessions had prioritized leak investigations in the DOJ. He had assigned certain U.S. attorneys to investigate leaks from the intelligence community to the, to the press. We know a lot of that was coming through the FBI. Page, Strzok, they were yep. taking information that they were getting through the surveillance of the Trump campaign. They were leaking it to the press to try to smear uh, Trump. Well, when uh, Sidney Powell filed a motion in federal court related to General Flynn's case, a bunch of FBI texts were made public. And one of those texts is from Lisa Page, April 11th of 2017, where she mentions her first interview with Durham and said that after she had her meeting with Durham, uh, general counsel, James Baker, the FBI, called her into his office to do a debrief of that interview. Mm -hmm. So Lisa Page had her first interview with Durham prior to April of 2017. So that tells me that shortly after Sessions was appointed attorney general in January, 2017 he got durham on the case pretty damn quickly yeah i would imagine that durham has probably been investigating the spygate conspirators and the fbi doj the white house the national security council the defense department he's probably been investigating those people since probably february or march of 2017 four and a half years basically uh i think that durham has been working on this stuff and i i suspect that Sessions knew he could trust Durham and gave Durham 
control of the Spygate investigation, put Huber on the case to investigate the Clinton Foundation. Once Huber had sufficiently investigated the Clinton Foundation, Uranium One, all that stuff, all that stuff was given to Durham. And then, interestingly enough, right before Barr checks out, he makes Durham a special prosecutor. Mm -hmm. So so they can't shut down his investigation. And he resigned from his uh from his post in Connecticut too, same time. Right. I think that the DOJ put all their eggs in one basket. They gave it all to Durham, made him a special prosecutor, and for four years there's been all this drama about Barr and Rosenstein and Sessions, and it was all I think a lot of it was just distractions Smoke to keep screen. people from to keep people from looking at what Durham was doing. <laughs> I think I think all the stuff with Sessions and Barr stuff was a head fake. Uh, I I suspect that Durham was the guy the whole time. He was the man. He's essentially Wyatt Earp. I've been kind of like wondering for a couple of years if it's not Sessions and it's not Barr, who is the guy who's going to take down the deep state? Who is Wyatt Earp? It's Durham. Yeah. And I think it's been Durham from day one. I think that they knew that they could they could trust Durham because he investigated a lot of corruption in the FBI. He's, he's busted a lot of uh, corrupt FBI agents. He investigated the CIA. He took down a lot of uh, mob families. Um, he spe- kind of specializes in racketeering and, um, and organized crime syndicates. And of course, the Clinton Foundation is one big organized crime syndicate. And uh, oh yeah, most definitely. I think even the normies know that one. And and I suspect that, and and everyone who is a federal prosecutor, former federal prosecutor, who's weighing in on this, everyone from shipwrecked crew to Cash Patel, they're all looking at this indictment from Sussman, going, oh. He's building a, a a racketeering case, a conspiracy case, and he's gonna he's gonna start unsealing more indictments, more indictments, and more indictments, going up the food chain. He'll eventually hit Hillary Clinton, and it's just gonna go up from there. Well, our our last post was, "Shall we play a game? Nothing can stop what's coming." And then we've got Durham, and then we're and the not second gonna last take post was Durham. Yeah, Durham. That was it. Just Durham. 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 That's it. I'm 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 pretty hopeful, but you know I, what I wanted to talk about uh, the Durham investigation is when Cash Patel said he had declassified all those documents and they haven't been made public. If you assume that Durham has impaneled grand juries who are hearing testimonies, seeing documents, and getting evidence regarding Spygate and the Clinton Foundation, that might explain why none of this stuff has been made public. Mm-hmm. Because if it's before a grand jury, they can't make it public. That is a good point. Right. So I, I think that a lot of the frustration that people have, have uh, felt because documents haven't been declassified because no one big has been arrested yet. Um, I think there's reasons for all that. When you, My understanding of doing a, a racketeering case is they generally arrest the big figures all at once. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, yeah, they but, always do. They string them up, man. Yeah, it's like, a, know, it's like I a, would imagine one, one of these days. Well, what I, what I was going to tell you on the last broadcast before <laughs> I suddenly got cut off was one of these days people are going to wake up and they're going to read a headline. 
What headline? <laughs> Greg asked me last week. They're going to read a headline about mass arrests, I think. Mm -hmm. I think one of these days, people are going to wake up and they're going to hear that, you know, two or three hundred members of the cabal from the Clinton, Hillary and Bill and members of Congress, uh, Comey, Clapper, Brennan, Susan Rice, that they've all been arrested. Makes in me a massive, on the inside. I, I, I do believe a mass arrest is coming. I actually had three dreams about that, at least, that I can remember. Three dreams about mass arrests happening. On one day, just boom, all these powerful people taken up, taken in, arrested. Uh, I think one day in the not too distant future, I think Durham will probably take a bunch of U.S. Marshals and just put the little silver bracelets on a whole bunch of these members of the cabal. And it's going to happen suddenly. And all the people who are whining and complaining because no oh one's been arrested gosh. yet. They're going to be surprised when a whole bunch of people get arrested at once. What are what are the what are the arrest people going to do when we finally get the arrest? You know, what I mean, these people are just like, oh my I don't God, know. we just need an arrest, please. <laughs> yeah. Like that would even solve everything. I mean, it really. Well, and, and and the reality of of the arrest issue is that it doesn't fix the problem. It really does. That's that that's what a lot of people just can't get through their thick head. And, and and I get it. You could arrest Look, them people, today. Some people just want their pound of flesh. They want someone to pay for the crimes that they've committed. That's all they care about. They don't care about the institutional nature of corruption. They just want to see Hillary in jail. Yeah. They want to see Comey wearing an orange jumpsuit. We <laughs> all do, but I want to see want... him stay there. Some people want to be vindicated. They've been they've been pushing the narrative for four years that, you know, these people are going to get mo and they want to be vindicated. They want to be proven right. Mm -hmm. There's a lot of people that just want to be proven right. Yeah. I don't care about that. I don't either. And I don't care about the arrests. I, re I really don't. That's not my issue. Yeah. My issue is I want the institutions of society to be um, cleaned up of all this corruption. Yeah. From That's the goal. From the FBI, the DOJ, the courts, the White House, um, Congress, state legislatures, uh, the church, but particularly Catholic church. I mean, Catholic church is heavily involved in corruption, money laundering. Yeah. Uh, Trafficking. Yeah. Um, I want to see the institutions of society. I want to see the media cleaned up. There's a whole lot of people in the media that need to be arrested. Oh, yeah. Uh, because of they're um, a huge part of this whole thing. Yes. Um, if you read the statute on treason, sedition, and subversive activities, and you get to the part of advocating overthrow the government, it is a violation of federal law to use the press to advocate for the overthrow of the government. And members of the press knowingly pushed lies in an attempt to remove Donald Trump from office. Mm -hmm. That was an attempt to overthrow the government. Well, and not only do they get it there, but they get it with the uh, with the vaccines and the COVID and everything else too, because uh, yep. they listen to press, they, they got executed as well during the Nuremberg. Yep, and members of the press need to be held accountable because mm -hmm. they are just as culpable as anybody in the CIA or the White House. Uh, because they're the ones 
you know, when you look at the indictments of, of people like Sussman and uh, Kleinsmith, what did Kleinsmith do? Kleinsmith changed an email, which changed the content of that email and made it look like Carter Page was not a government, uh, working with the government, the CIA, as a confidential human source when he actually was. They then surveilled Carter Page illegally, surveilled the entire Trump campaign, got uh, information from the surveillance, fed it to the press, to, and then the press weaponized that, in, that intelligence to smear Donald Trump yep. and his presidency, right? None of that would have been possible were it not for the press. The press weaponized the information against Trump. So the press is as culpable as anybody in this. Sussman, what was Sussman doing? Sussman worked with probably uh, Fusion GPS and Glenn Simpson. Mm -hmm. And what was given that it happened with that information? Given to the media to smear the Trump campaign. Yeah. So even though you have people like Kleinsmith and Sussman who are sort of small actors, but they're not really the information it was it's all an information war but that information was weaponized by the media and it's the media who is just as culpable as all these other people so i expect members of the media to be indicted uh as co-conspirators i want to see him arrested on the air <laughs> i want to see him arrested on the air can, can, can you see can you see a cnn anchor um broadcasting the arrest of obama and then the cops walk over and arrest the reporter on oh air gosh. Ah, <laughs> i freaking love it man oh yeah by the way we're taking you in too <laughs> that would make me so happy yeah well you know people have been waiting for a long time but the the indictments that are coming from durham strongly suggest there's going to be a lot more indictments coming yeah uh, I don't think Durham has been working on this investigation for all this time with all these people and that we're not going to see anything. If you go yeah. on pacer.gov, there's a whole lot of sealed cases on the federal court dockets and they've been adding about 5,000 a month Jeez. over the last three years. And that is undisputable, irrefutable. I don't care what you believe or don't believe. Log in to pacer.gov and go look at the sealed cases. I'm not going to tell you that they're all indictments related to Durham, but there are several lot. hundred thousand sealed cases on the federal court dockets. And the last time anyone did a survey of uh, sealed cases on the federal court dockets was about 10 years ago. Uh, a judge actually did a survey of, uh, he took a snapshot of all the sealed cases at that time. There was only a thousand sealed cases in all federal courts at that time. I think it was 2010 or 2011. Typically, there isn't that many, um, or there aren't that many sealed cases in the federal courts, but there are several hundred thousand right now. Yeah. And you have to wonder which, who are the U.S. attorneys that are piling up all these, you know, sealed cases, and what's behind those sealed cases? We don't know, but I suspect that. Uh, a lot of that has to do with what attorneys like Huber and Durham have been investigating for the last four years. Well, first off, update: Facebook's still down, Instagram down, Twitter's having issues. Nice, nice. Greg, uh, we broke the internet. I'm so glad. 
I'm so glad. Um, okay, so Red October. There and there's a lot of freaking I was going through uh QAG this morning. There's a there's a lot of deltas coming up. A lot. Yep. And there yeah. has been. I thought it was I thought it was very interesting that Scavino posted that red wave on Twitter on October first. Which, you know, on September thirtieth, the night before, Q posted that that meme with Trump, uh, the hunters become the hunted, Mm -hmm. which kind of morphed from the red October to the hunters become the hunted. Um, And then Scavino posted that, that red wave on October 1st. I think there was definitely a nod from Scavino and he's been posting a lot of interesting stuff lately. I, I think, honestly, I think some people make too much of what Scavino is posting. Not everything Scavino posts is direct messages to anons but some of this stuff clearly is mm-hmm. um and and he's i think he's letting anons know that uh showtime is about to start not on whatsapp or messenger either apparently <laughs> <laughs> and isn't this stuff dropping today from veritas about facebook too uh i don't know oh my gosh i'm getting excited man yeah, I think we have good stuff coming. Um, so I don't know if you saw this, but um, but Pepe Lives Matter, he posted a dream that someone had. Someone in a comment posted a dream, or they sent it to him in a private message. I'm not sure which. He posted it on his channel, and I read the dream and I just started cracking up laughing. <laughs> why was I laughing? I was laughing because... This dream is so classic. And so I reposted it on Telegram. You know what? I'm going to read it. Yeah. Is that the one in in the car, right? Yes. Yeah. Let me read it, and I'll do a little bit of dream interpretation. If y'all aren't following Pepe Lives Matter over on Telegram, make sure you do. It's like probably one of the only places I go. Yep. All right. This is from Lydia Sorrow, and she had this dream. I had an interesting dream last night. My mother, who passed away years ago, was in the driver's seat of an old, large, white Buick. I got into the passenger seat, and my niece's daughter got into the back seat behind my mother. My mother looked beautiful, and she started to talk to us. I was amazed because her voice was just as I had remembered it. We were both in awe, knowing we had been given a gift to see her and hear her. She turned to me and my niece and said, buckle up. Then my father appeared behind my niece and said the same thing. Buckle up. All right. So a couple of things just to, you know, uh, take away from this. Usually when you're in a vehicle in a dream, whether it's a boat, an airplane, a car, motorcycle, usually the vehicle represents some aspect of your life. And sometimes the color, make, model, and year of the vehicle will speak symbolically to issues of your life, sometimes things that you're aware of. Uh, and so uh, in the dream book that, that we just published, I have an entire long, very long section on um, the symbolic meaning of vehicles. Many times when a person appears in a dream who has passed away, um, that person is giving you a message as a stand-in for, for the Lord. Um, I've had a couple of dreams where my my brother talked to me. My brother passed away about 10 years ago. 
but he gave me some very relevant messages in dreams um, about finances. I'll, I'll just say that. Um, so in this dream, the mother said, buckle up. How many times has Q told us to buckle up? How many times has Hannity told us to buckle up? If you're if you're following this stuff, you know what buckle up means. Buckle yep. up means the ride might get a little bumpy. You might want to buckle up mm -hmm. like it's go time. And so this this one, both her mother and father appeared and said, buckle up twice. It was said twice. When God says something two or three times, he's reiterating how important it is. So I, I, dreams like that are very common. That's the kind of dreams a lot of people are having right now. They're having these dreams where it looks like God is letting us know, go time. It, it's coming. Uh, if well, your popcorn has been stale because <clears throat> you've been waiting for four years <laughs> for the arrest to happen, well, your, your wait might be over pretty soon. Yeah, there's 14 drops on the boards. We'll buckle up. Buckle up, 14 drops. Exactly. That's a lot. So if you've been following Q, you know exactly what buckle up means. I do. Um, and I, I I am very encouraged by what I'm seeing coming out of uh, Durham's investigation. Uh, I'm not going to make predictions. I'm not going to make, you know, oh, Durham's going to indict X number of people by X date or whatever. I don't make predictions. But I think it's reasonable to assume because a lot of very intelligent former federal prosecutors have told us that the, the indictment of Sussman in particular is an indictment that builds a case for a racketeering uh, prosecution of a lot of people. Oh, yeah. All sure. those people who are named in there are likely to be indicted. Uh, Mark Elias. Uh, Dude, he's, he's like Glenn right next Simpson. Yeah. Well, Mark Elias, he's right next to Sussman. And he's also he also signed off on a bunch of stuff on the 2020 election. So Mark Elias is probably more culpable than Sussman. Was. Yes. Right. So it's very it's it would be very difficult to imagine Elias not being indicted. Dude, it's, all, indict it's, it's all the storm, right? It's all. Like and, and look. This was, all this work was being done for the Hillary Clinton campaign, mm -hmm. which was managed by John Podesta. Yeah, the arrest <laughs> of John Podesta on behalf of Hillary Clinton. <laughs> so I think it's I think it's likely that people like Podesta and Hillary will be indicted, well, if for nothing else, in relation to this. But they've got a lot bigger problems too because of the uh, crimes against humanity. Well, Molesta Podesta has been back in the news lately, and uh, freaking Huma too. So yeah, yeah. Well, the other thing you can see is that the cabal—they're kind of frantic about pushing their agenda because they know they're racing against the clock. Yeah, they know that they have to get this done before they get indicted by Durham, and before Trump comes back to the White House. So they're on a very short time schedule, which yeah. is why they have their little puppet, Joe Obama, in the White House, frantically trying to push their issue of control. They want to destroy the economy. They want to destroy uh, the Constitution, strip away all of our freedoms, and put us into slavery. 
before any of that happens. And it's a race against the clock. That's why they're they're just pushing this stuff at light speed. And of course, in the process, they're waking a lot of people up. Every weekend has got to be like a little pucker factor for these guys as they tune into sporting events, now NASCAR and everything like this, and our new national anthem, you know, F Joe. Yeah, Biden. the new national anthem. Oh, my gosh. That I is mean, just hilarious how that's gone viral. Well, and it, start, <laughs> it started with the kids, too, and I've seen numerous posts um, uh, around lately, too, about younger people waking up or having – having com- yep. coming back and having conversations with people that they like, Oh, you're a conspiracy theorist. So they wrote us off a long time ago. And then like, Oh shit, you were right. Oh man, there's something to this. Could you tell me more about this? Yeah. Pu- pushing the vaccine mandates has really been a huge mistake. Mm-hmm. I mean, th- they felt like they had to do it because they have to get people to comply with their demands. And they felt like, you know, doing the vaccine mandates would be, the, the, the way that they could force compliance um, in, in, in a way that they could justify intellectually. Because if you have an invisible enemy, invisible enemies are always the best way to run a psychological operation against yeah. the public. Um, if you explain a threat to their health, as well, there's this virus and you're not a microbiologist and you're not a virologist and you're not a scientist. So you need to listen to the experts. They're going to tell you what threat this little uh, invisible virus poses to your health and to the safety of the country. Mm-hmm. It's an invisible enemy that is that the, they, the experts can tailor the narrative to whatever they want. And anyone who disagrees with them is shouted down and, and called a, you know, a conspiracy theorist or a flat earther yeah. as Rand Paul so eloquently put it this week when he uh, smacked down the technocracy once again. But it's but it's the same thing with the solar storms. If they plan to take down the Internet, they can just weave their little story. Oh, the solar storms. We have all this magnetic energy that's coming to the Earth and it's going to take down the Internet. I can't wait and to see they how they pull- spin the Facebook and stuff down today, too, man. Right. It's like a solar storm. They, they hit the kill switch, <laughs> and they pushed our little solar storm story. And people who are not scientists are not going to know whether that's true or not. It's, it's some invisible enemy. You can't see the radiation that's supposedly taking down the Internet. Yeah. Well, it's like the glee that I had. Like every time, I like I I don't, I don't watch sports. I don't really care about sports, and, and I, I'm not against anybody that says that 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 does, but. Like, I love watching all these videos of entire stadiums packed together with people, mind you. You know, you chanting out F you Biden, you know. And then you got Fauci over the weekend saying, oh, we haven't made up our mind yet whether or not we can gather together for Christmas. Are you out of your freaking mind right now? Like, who is actually buying this stuff? Like, nobody. 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 And that was what I saw in my dream yesterday. I saw the elites trying to spin this story and nobody was buying what they were selling. Like they were pushing and they were pushing and they're telling their story and nobody was buying it. Yeah. Every Everybody was like, you people are crazy. We're not listening to you anymore. You're all liars. You've been exposed. And that's what's happening. Yeah, you, we're, we're watching it happen. A lot of people are waking up because of this, these vaccine mandates. Yeah. Even the people who think, okay, I got the first shot or maybe they got two shots. A lot of those people have an ethical concern about a mandate, forcing people to take vaccines against their will. Yeah. They realize, look, this is a choice. Like I decided to get the vaccine. 
but I don't think it's right to make them get a vaccine if they don't want it. That's yeah. just not how this country works. So that that is a huge um, error on their part. But, you know, they're trying to force us to comply with all their stupid rules. And it's probably going to get worse. Um, and we ha we haven't even talked about the specter of financial collapse uh, and the debt ceiling. <clears throat> I'm... Dude, there's I'm, so I'm, much I'm to talk about. We need a medic Tuesday now. Oh, dude, I know. We needed like a medic, you know, Monday, Tuesday uh, <laughs> thing. Yeah. Wait, we I'm could do like a co-host week, man. I mean, you could come on anytime you want. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm watching what's going on in Congress with interest. Um, how Congress is approaching. They're never going to, I don't think there's ever going to be in, in, in this current iteration of our political system, I don't think there's ever going to be another budget passed by Congress. Mm -hmm. They decided not to do budgets a long time ago. Once the the national debt hit about $20 trillion, they gave up on doing a budget and they just try to pass continuing resolutions. It's, it's kicking the can down the road. Yeah. If you do a budget, you have to actually um, outline income and expenditures this is what we're spending and here's where the money's coming in to cover those expenses. You, you can't do a budget if you want to spend three or $4 trillion you don't have. And these people are so, terrible at math, man. A couple trillion dollars didn't cost anything. That, that's what Congress has been doing for a long time. But you know, they got this issue of the debt ceiling and <laughs> the debt ceiling, the debt ceiling is a ticking time bomb. Yeah. Um, and, it, and it's not the debt ceiling itself. It is, the amount of debt that we owe, we're, you know, close to thirty trillion dollars in debt that eventually has to be paid back. I, I think, I think, <clears> how, I think we know somebody that's got a plan. How is the government ever going to pay back thirty trillion dollars in debt? Well, I think China's it's gonna going to pay us reparations. Yeah, it's not going to. <laughs> Federal government is never going to pay back thirty trillion in debt to the people that it's owed to. It, they're going to default at some point. Yeah, when the federal government defaults on the debt, it is going to destroy the central banking system. Yeah. And it's going to destroy every financial uh, institution that is connected to and relies on that central banking system. It's essentially well, going to take down the entire financial well, system. Well, I saw worldwide. something about Africa is getting ready to to try to purge out the central bank. Oh, yeah. Yeah, they, yeah, 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 they are. I, I saw an article about that. Yeah. So uh, I, I don't know when that's going to happen. I don't know if it's a short-term or, or a long-term issue. Uh, God has given me a lot of dreams about that issue years ago, 10 years ago. I had a lot of dreams about the stock market, financial systems, uh, the debt. Uh, I'm watching with, uh, with interest to see how they're going to address this. I'm not convinced that Republicans have the intestinal fortitude to stick to their guns uh, I suspect that by the time this is all done, they will capitulate and they will go along with a continuing resolution and either suspend or raise the debt ceiling. They're, they're trying to act all brave now. Um, I've seen this before. I've watched this movie a couple of times. And they always have the same posturing and acting and demonstrative speeches about being fiscally responsible. And at the last minute, they cave in. Yep. And they decide they vote to raise the debt ceiling and let's spend a few more trillion dollars because it's not our money. 
<laughs> That's just how they are. Republican I'll be or Democrat? If they do something other than that, yeah, they're all in trouble. Republican or Democrat, any of them. Yeah. Any and them. and you know when when the uh, when the music stops because it's a game of musical chairs right now. It's actually a game of musical chairs in a lot of ways. It's a game of musical chairs for the federal debt. Eventually, the government's going to default on it, and it's going to implode uh, the entire financial system. Eventually, Durham is going to start arresting a whole lot of people. That's when the music stops for them. And there aren't going to be a whole lot of chairs for people to sit on. When the music stops, they're, they're all going to be walking over to that little... Uh, jail cell over there with handcuffs on and they're going to get in their little orange prison orange uh, jumpsuits. Well, and I think they're all feeling the heat. I mean, you saw Kristen, uh, you caught, saw Kristen, Kristen Cinema. Cinema. Yeah, she got chased into the freaking bathroom uh, over the weekend, you know? Yep. Yeah. Uh, uh, None of yeah, these people will be able to walk down the street. There's some more interesting political theater going on in, in the Democrat side of, of the house because you've got this, um, the squad now has a larger contingent of nut jobs who are pushing the green new green new deal. There's probably like 25 members of the house now mm-hmm. who are all on board with the green new deal and all this insane spending on crazy crap. And you got people like Kirsten Cinema and Joe Manchin who are moderate Democrats who are trying to talk sense to these people like, wait a minute, but we can't do that. That's, that's not reality. You people are living in an alternate world. Yeah. Right. So now you have this big split in the Democrat party because they allowed these flaky nut jobs to come in and push all this insane spending mm-hmm. uh, on hopium. And you have a couple of grounded Democrats who are trying to talk sense to them and it's not working. Yeah. And cinema came in. I mean, she was crazy, man. I mean, she was talking aliens and all kinds of stuff when she came in. Oh, she's I've... got a, she's got a colorful past. Yeah. But I've, I've watched her ever since that state of the union, you know, where they first came state out. Of the they union. Were... Yeah, yep. when, when she stood up and cheered for Trump and that lady, I can't remember who it was, stood up next to her and you could clearly say, watch yep. your ass, yep. you know, and I've always I've always kind of kept an eye on her. I mean, like I've rooted for her like, a you know, underdog player, you know, that maybe yeah. like she's some kind of white hat or some kind of plant or, you know, maybe that she, she you know, she's just seeing what's going on when she well, got to Washington. You know, she's, she represents Arizona. Yeah. And contrary to what Katie Hobbs will tell you, Arizona is a red state. Mm-hmm. And and she's under a lot of pressure. She knows she has no chance of getting reelected if she throws in with those nut jobs over on the far left side. So she has to act somewhat more like a, a Republican, a conservative and a Trumpist in a Democrat uh, caucus because she won't get reelected if she doesn't. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think the reality check for her was she understands, you know, she's like Joe Manchin. Manchin's a Democrat in a very conservative district or state, I should say. And he, they, they have the same problems. All those moderate Democrats who are representing red states, they have no chance of getting reelected if they throw in with the nut jobs on the left. So, yeah. Yeah. And when I say nut jobs, I mean that with the utmost sincerity and respect. But they're a little cray-cray. They are. Uh, <laughs> they are. All right, I have one last question for you. I know we're like way over time, and but right. I have one more question because I've seen this around lately, and it seems to be increasing. There's a narrative around about Trump and 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 
and supporting the vaccines, Trump creating the vaccines, Trump did he or did he not take the vaccine? Was it Johnson and Johnson? Was it Pfizer? And, you know, like I've even seen some conversations like Trump is deep state. What are your thoughts on any of that? You know my thoughts on this, but I'll say it again. <laughs> but I want to I want to get it out here, you know, for for people because, you know, on the record. Yeah. Understandable. That's what, that's what we do. Yep. The, the essential problem that we're dealing with is that um, a lot of people tend to take things they hear from Trump at face value. Mm -hmm. And if you take everything you hear from Trump at face value, you are going to be lost in the woods because Trump is a master strategist. And a lot of what Trump says, he doesn't actually believe. He says it because of optics. When Trump was here in Arizona a couple of years ago, he's been here to like four rallies. And Trump is on, this, on the platform saying all these great glowing things about Governor Ducey. He doesn't believe any of the stuff he's saying about Ducey. He has known for some time that Ducey is a deep state Deep state asset, I'll just say that. But because of optics, he'll get on the stage and he'll say nice things about certain governors, mm -hmm. even though he knows these people are have no integrity and that they're compromised. He says things for the sake of optics. Okay. Some people don't like that. They don't like the fact that Trump has to say certain things because of because he needs to set a narrative or he needs to honor certain people or do certain things. Uh, and some people don't believe that in, in the whole optics theory. They just think that Trump means everything he says and there are, there, are, there are no optics. Well, if you know anything about politics, you know anything about business, you know that that's not true. You know that any good businessman CEO has to say certain things about certain people, certain issues, because um, they need to create a public perception about that issue. Yeah. So a lot of what Trump says is said for the for the purpose of optics. Okay, that's number one. Number two. Um, in March of 2020, when they started the lockdowns, the Dow was at 29,000, and when they started locking things down, when the NBA and the uh, it was during it was actually during March Madness during the NCAA tournament. They that's when the lockdowns happened. They started on March 7th um, and they announced that they were going to start holding games without audiences. Mm -hmm. And that spread. It spread to professional sports. It spread to quickly sped, spread to restaurants. They started closing restaurants. They designated certain businesses as non-essential. Right. So Walmart gets to stay open and grocery stores get to stay open. So your Windexie and your Safeway, they get to stay open. But restaurants are considered non-essential, bars, non-essential, shut them down. Within two months, the unemployment rate was close to 20% in the country because of all the shutdowns, the lockdowns of businesses. Yeah. And the plan of the cabal was to shut down businesses and keep them closed. That's what they're doing right now. They want to enforce lockdowns again, and they're trying to disrupt 
supply chains. They're trying to disrupt um, the interstate commerce. They're, all these boats are backing up in the port of Los Angeles port and they can't get in, they can't unload stuff because there's always supply chain issues. Yeah. Trucking, uh, rail and shipping is all being severely damaged by Biden's vaccine mandate policy. Why? Because a lot of companies are have, having to lay off or fire people who won't get vaccinated. Pr probably around the country, if you look, there is a, somewhere between a 25 to 40 percent of the workforce is not vaccinated and they're not going to be vaccinated. So Biden makes tries to push a vaccine mandate through OSHA, which, by the way, OSHA still has not put in place a regulation requiring vac vaccination, and they probably never will. No. Which means if you work for a company and they're requiring the, uh, the vaccine, you might go to them and say, show me where OSHA has passed a regulation requiring vaccination. Can't do they it. won't because they haven't, because Biden said it was going to happen, but it's never going to happen. Anyway, that's a segue. So uh, you have all of these companies that are now having to lay people off and fire people because they won't get vaccinated. What's that going to do? It's going to destroy the economy. Yeah, It's going to destroy businesses, destroy companies. It's going to increase the unemployment rate right now. Last March in, in April and May, when they did the lockdowns, it was destroying the economy. The stock market went from 29,000 to like 17,000 in a month. It was actually about two or three weeks. The stock market cratered it plummeted because businesses were getting hammered and the unemployment rate was creeping up 15, 16, 18%. If, if that had continued by August or September, the United States would probably be around 30 to 40% unemployment. And by the end of the year, there probably would have been 50% unemployment. They were trying to destroy the economy. They're trying to destroy businesses, private businesses, because their goal is to de completely destroy the capitalist system that we are currently living with. Yep. And that's what they're doing again now. All of this uh, pushing the vaccine mandates, I think one of the main goals of that, the unstated goal is to destroy the economy. They want to destroy the capitalist economy. Why? Because they want to bring in a socialist system. They have to destroy the capitalist economy. And then they can point to the capitalism, go capitalism failed. It's a failure. Uh, forget about the fact that we blew it up with by by making companies fire millions of people in the country, we're just going to say that capitalism is a failure, right? Well, Trump saw what they were doing last year in March and April. He saw that they were trying to destroy the economy. So by lot through doing lockdowns, he knew that the only way that he could counter that, that move was to negate the lockdowns, the need of the lockdowns. And since you're working against a medical technocracy, Trump's not a doctor. He doesn't have any medical training. How do you argue against a medical technocracy that says it's necessary to shut down all these businesses because of the virus, because of a pandemic? Yeah. 
that's going to kill hundreds, hundreds of millions of people. You don't, you can't argue against them because you're not a medical person. So Trump did the next best thing. He was like, well, if the pandemic is going to destroy capitalism, then I need to come up with a vaccine mm -hmm. that will allow me to end the lockdowns. So Trump got Operation Warp Speed going. He forced the vaccine manufacturers to get these vaccines out to market in record time. They blew past all the usual safety measures that they take, clinical trials, testing, all that stuff. They just essentially just by step, bypassed all that yeah. stuff, all right? Thinking that they were going to be immune from liability because vaccine manufacturers are typically immune from liability in the U.S. So they put the vaccine out in November and Trump ends the lockdowns and he probably saved capitalism uh, by forcing the vaccine manufacturers to get the vaccines out in record time. He also probably set up the vaccine companies for massive legal liability because um, you're only immune from liability as a vaccine manufacturer if you do not commit willful misconduct. And I'm, my guess is that in bypassing all the usual tests and clinical trials and studies uh, and safety precautions for vaccine manufacturers, if you knowingly implement practices in the development of a vaccine that put the public at risk, knowingly blow past necessary and usual safety guidelines, you committed acts of willful misconduct and you yeah. lose your liability as a, as a manufacturer. So I think Trump set up uh, Pfizer and uh, Moderna for massive legal liability. He ended the lockdowns. He probably saved our economy from being destroyed, probably put, put off the Great Reset so they could not implement socialism. Now, I know that there are people who are going to stamp in their feet and cry and whine and scream about Trump championing the vaccine. Okay, you can be angry and you can have your issue. You can feel the way you want to feel. But from my perspective, it was a trade-off he had to take. He didn't have a choice. Yeah. He was either going to champion the vaccine or he was going to let Western capitalism be destroyed. And I think he made the right choice. I did too. I did too. I mean, he's always been about the therapeutics. He's always been about, you know, the natural yeah. remedies. He's, you know. Right. Well, I mean, he pushed hydroxychloroquine <laughs> and boom, they basically said, oh, this is a criminal conspiracy. We can't let people take hydroxychloroquine. We got to have a vaccine. And yeah, you and know, like... Remy in the chat just pointed out too. Thomas Renz is proves they, they know exactly what's in the jab. They know exactly what's going on with it. They, they know all that stuff. So, yeah, yeah, dude, I, I just like I know we got to get out of here. I got a cloud up meeting. I got to get to anyway. But listen, OK, so Facebook whatsapp messenger now cloudfair google and telegram are all supporting are all reporting major outages as well really <laughs> really wow okay <laughs> Great. i don't we know broke the internet today maybe, maybe nothing to see here i don't know but uh to me that's exciting uh that's that is exciting that is exciting thank god uh, for af and our ham radio class last week <laughs> Ham radio is the internet of the future. Maybe. Man, that's, that's, 
That's exciting. Yeah, there's a lot of exciting stuff that's going to be happening pretty soon. So if, we, so if I don't see any of you guys for a couple of days or, you know, a little while, you know, it's nice to be here. Hey, I'll get some time to work on my books. Yes, you will. Uh, by the way, uh, that latest book, Dream Interpretation Made Simple, is available on Amazon. Uh, my spiritual books have not been banned from Amazon, only the, the Q books. Um, so the Dream Book, uh, my books on healing and hearing God's voice, Amazon. You can get them on Barnes and Noble. That book is also available for download on Apple Books and Nook and Kobo and a lot of other ebook uh, retailers. So if you want to pick it up, it's available all over the place. Download that bad boy today so you got it when mm -hmm. everything goes out. <laughs> yep. <laughs> I got a generator over the weekend at my, at, uh, my neighborhood yard sale. I've been looking for one for a while. It was like the little thing I was lacking the most. So I'm like, right on. There's more yeah, and more cool. things come up that are going yeah, down Yeah, well, today. dude, you live in Hurricane Alley, so you should have a generator anyway. I know. I know. Yeah. Yeah, I was very excited, man. And it was so funny. God, God is so awesome because I prayed for that the night before when I went to bed. I was like, Lord, let me be able to find a generator. That was the first street I went on. Answered prayer. Yeah, he cares, man. He cares about the little things, the big things, the things that provide power. And I got to tell you, man, I felt like absolute crap this morning. I didn't feel good yesterday. I didn't feel good today. But I got to tell you, man, just being out here and, and being with you and and doing our thing and, and talking about all the ways these knuckleheads are getting caught, man, it has definitely, definitely turned me around today. Man. I feel I feel so much better. I got a little cool. pep in my step, even though I feel, you know, still a little yuck. But I yeah. just I love talking about this stuff because it's like. Man, it's all happening. It it's really happening. Is. It's happening. And, and I'm glad that our, our discussion has lifted your spirits. Uh, that's my goal. You know, 100%. I don't want to blow sunshine up anyone's skirt, but I think there is a lot of uh, good reason to be optimistic about the future. There really is. You know? It really, really is. I I love these Monday shows too. I mean, everybody's blowing up the chat right now. Is how good how good it is these Medic Mondays. And cool. I mean, I think everybody's positive too. I mean, when you lay it all out, like if you just kind of look at the world and you see the world as it's going by, it's like, yeah, it could seem a little dark and stormy. But then if you look and see what the what the storm really is, you know, you can you can find you can find comfort, you can find joy, you can get a little excited. You know, it, it, you know, it's like it's like the best binge ever, but it's real life. You know, we're in this new season. You know, now we're back in red October. Let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. I'm excited. <laughs> Keep your popcorn handy. Oh yeah. All right. Well, listen. I'm going out on a, on a special one for all you people that, that want to see a rest. I think some of you guys will know which one I'm going to play. But uh, thank you so much, Dave, for getting together today. And uh, you, you, let's keep an eye on see what happens with the interwebs. And, uh, yeah, I think that's it. Everybody yeah. go make sure you get the book. Go get it. Go get it today. Go download it. I love you, brother. I love you too, man. Have an awesome week. All right, you too. Yeah, heading to Miami. Keep us in prayers. Me and Miguel Forney hitting the road again. All right. All right. Peace, guys. For all you arrest spawners, here you go.
Oh, it's not happening. Oh.